Strong Tower, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24 in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua chapter 24. And I will begin reading at verse 29. The Bible reads, Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So this morning, with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I would like to preach a message entitled, He's Preparing Me. He's Preparing Us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that nothing is wasted with you. You know all things, O oh God. You know about dust particles you know about atoms, neutrons, protons. Lord, you know about everything, and you're able to work it all together for your glory and for our good. Nothing escapes your sight. You see all things. You know all things. And we thank you, Lord, that as we come to this text today, we're going to behold how you used an ordinary man to do extraordinary things, a man of dust, a man who, like us, was imperfect, but a man like us who understood your power and your grace. So, Jesus, speak to me. Speak through me. Encourage your congregation. Encourage your people, knowing that you are preparing us. You're not wasting any experiences. You're not wasting any of the pain that we've gone through. You're using it all and working it together for our good and for your glory. Bless me now that your people may be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. He's preparing me. He's preparing you. The Lord is preparing us. You know, the day July 17th, 2020, will go down in history. And that day will not go down in history because it just so happens to be Elder Paul Revere's birthday and he turned 73 years old on July 17, 2020. And that day will not go down in history because I happen to turn 52 years old on that same day, July 17, 2020. No, no, no. That's not why that day is going down in history. That day, July 17, 2020, is going down in history because that is the day that Reverend C.T. Vivian and Representative John Lewis both passed away and left the land of the dying to go to the land of the living. These two men were champions in the civil rights movements. They were devotees to the cause. And both men walked together, marched together, served together, preached together, prayed together, and God in his divine knowledge and foresight would have them die together on the same day.
And when I think about Representative John Lewis, he has great ties to the city of Nashville, as many of you are well aware. As a matter of fact, coming out of Alabama, Troy, Alabama, he was not able to go to college there. Um, he even tells the story where he could not even get a library card in his hometown because of racism and segregation. And so the local college would not receive him there, but American Baptist College, the Holy Hill in Nashville, received him and he came to school here. And while he was in school here, Representative Lewis participated in the Nashville sit-ins. He participated in peaceful protests and he also was arrested for the first time out of the 45 times that he was arrested. He was arrested for the first time right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And on the Sunday following his death, the Tennessean put out uh, this article on him on the front page where John Lewis is said to have communicated, Nashville prepared me. Nashville prepared me. Because if Nashville was the frying pan, Selma, Alabama would be the fire. Because Nashville prepared him for that greater work. And that work that led to voting rights being able to be secured for minorities in this nation. So John Lewis went on record as saying Nashville, the place where he went to school, the place where he protested, the place where he was arrested for the first time, that Nashville prepared him for a greater fight. Nashville prepared him for something that was on a grander magnitude that would change the scope of our country. Nashville prepared him. And church, I just want to say that whatever you're going through right now, the flames, the pain, the hurt, the trials, the tribulation. As I pray to open this sermon, none of those things are being wasted with God. God is using all of those things to prepare you. And the fire that you're feeling right now, God is using to purge you, to cleanse you, to purify you, not to disintegrate you, not to burn you to ashes, but to make you stronger, to come forth as gold. He is preparing you through what you're going through right now because what he's taking you through is preparing you for where he is taking you to. Oh my, that's so good. I got to say it one more time. God is using the things that you're going through to prepare you for the place that he's taking you to. And what God is doing in your life right now, what he's doing in my life, He's using the crucible of suffering. He's using the fiery furnace, if you will, the oven of affliction to grow us during this season of pandemic and during this season of a racial pandemic. He, he's growing us. We're going through economic trials and family trials and bodily trials, uh, relationships. Man, we are being tossed and driven by all of these things that are happening to us. But God is still in control and he's using all of this stuff to make us better, to make us better for ourselves, to make us better for him and to make us better for the sake of others. So he's using the time to bless you, even though you feel like he's stressing you. No, he's blessing you. 
And he's blessing you and he's blessing me so that we might be a blessing to others. Because on March 7th, 1965, John Lewis was on the Edmund Pettus Bridge about to begin a march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in order to dramatize the seriousness of the moment and the need for voting rights equality for African Americans. And, and on that Sunday, which has been called Bloody Sunday, he and all of the peaceful protesters were attacked by the police that day. And John Lewis uh, had a baton go to the back of his head, cracking his skull, causing him to bleed profusely and pass out. And he would later say he had no idea how he got from that bridge back to the church Brown Chapel. He, he had no idea. It was as if angels escorted him back. But he shed blood on that bridge, Edmund Pettus Bridge, a bridge named after a Confederate officer during the Confederate War. Uh, that bridge, Bloody Sunday, that man nearly died. But as we're going to see today, that bridge would be a gateway to his parents being able to vote and to all of us being able to vote. But Nashville prepared him. God was taking him through some things to take him to some things. And even with what God took Representative Lewis to, there would still be more suffering of an immense kind. But that would also lead to him being able to serve in the halls of Congress for over three decades. So there was a purpose in the pain. There was a purpose in the suffering. A greater glory was coming. And I'm here to let you know God is not wasting what you're going through. He, you, he is using what you're going through and what I'm going through to make us more like Christ and to make us more of a minister for Christ, a greater minister for Christ, that others may be blessed from what we're going through. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He's preparing us. He's preparing you. He's preparing me. And when we come to this passage today, we see a man named Joshua who has been buried. And on Thursday of this past week, Representative John Lewis was buried after a wonderful funeral service where President Bush and President Clinton and President Obama, who actually gave the eulogy where, where many dignitaries came and they thanked the Lord for this man who used to preach to chickens in Troy, Alabama, and how God brought him from that place of rural poverty into the halls of Congress and into the pages of our history books as a man who made a difference because he understood that God was preparing him. And Joshua was a man that God prepared to do great things for the nation of Israel. And his life was celebrated on the day of his death. But this man God used and he used some, some difficult things to get him to the place where he would succeed Moses. And Joshua, who, as we'll see, was a former slave, would end up leading two million Hebrew people into the promised land. God used him. God prepared him. And once again, church, God is preparing us. He's preparing this church for such a time as this. 
to make a difference, to lift the bushel off of our lampstand and let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So even though we can't meet corporately, the church is still marching on. So let's go to the scriptures and let's look at Joshua, how God prepared him for this moment to succeed Moses and leave such a legacy that we even read about him in scripture. We read about his funeral in scripture. The first thing I want you to see about Joshua is that Joshua was a son. He was a child. He was a son. He was the son of none, the Bible says. And the Bible lets us know that this term son of none is used 28 times in the Bible, speaking of Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua was a son. Now, why is that so important? Well, that lets us know that Joshua was proud of his father. That lets us know that Joshua, who comes from the tribe of Ephraim, that he had a, a good father over him. And, and, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. What I don't read in the Bible is any mention of Joshua's mother. Now, we know that that is a strong patriarchal culture where people would find a lot of their identity from their father. Uh, but we also know that many of the patriarchs, we know of their wives as well. We know of Sarah and not just Abraham. We know of Rebecca and not just Isaac. We know of Rachel and not just Jacob. So we, we, we know the, the, the names of the wives, of the mothers, but we don't know the name of Joshua's mother. So it could be implied, and I, I say this lightly and loosely, that perhaps Joshua came from a single parent home raised by a father. Now that is likely because we have people in our congregation and of course people in our family that they come from single parent homes and, and some of those single parent homes even go against the stereotypes where those homes are just women. And we thank God for our women who are leading uh, these homes. Bless you, sis. And yet there are also men who are single parents doing the best that they can. And Joshua and his father had a connection. He was the son of none. Everybody knew who his daddy was. And, and so uh, if you say, hey, man, what, what, what's your daddy's name? Joshua would say, none. <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> That's my daddy's name. None. He, he was a son and he could have been in a single parent home. And some people have come through a single parent home, whether it was a, a, a mother or a father. And you were told that you can't make it because you didn't come from a traditional nuclear family. You were told that there were hindrances towards your progress in this life because you started out uh, 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 on, the, on the side of limitation. But I'm here to let you know that when God is in your life, there is no limitation. And he will use even a single parent home in order to produce great men and women for his cause. Here's another thing I'm gonna throw in for free. The Bible never mentions that Joshua had a wife. Now, the Bible does say that he had a house when he said in Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the Bible never specifically says, like Moses, that he had a wife. And it does not say that he had children. So what again could this imply? Perhaps this man was single his entire life. 
And we're here to celebrate the fact that you don't have to be married in order to be significant in the kingdom of God. You can be single and be significant and successful in the kingdom of God. Can the single folks say amen? So, so Joshua, there's no mention of a wife. Maybe he had a wife. Uh, maybe he didn't. But again, I want to come by and I want to encourage those who may feel like, man, part of my suffering is that I'm a, from a single parent home. Part of my suffering is that I am single and I'm in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s. But God is in control. You've got God. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are married folks who wish that they were in your position. You know, it's like the flies on the screen door. The flies outside are on the screen door wishing they could be inside. The flies on the inside are on the screen door wishing they could be outside. So you need to be thankful for the place that you're in, whether you're married or you're single, and be grateful for where God has you. Oh, I didn't mean to say all that. I got to get going. Can I go to part two, number two? Number two is he was a slave, a slave. Joshua was born into slavery to the Egyptians. Now, I know we read the Bible and read right over that stuff. And that's probably because none of us know what it, it's like to be a slave. But when you are a slave, you don't have any human rights. You don't have a, a freedom. You can't go where you want to go or do what you want to do. You are building uh, pyramids and you are building storehouses. You are tilling the land of the Egyptians. You don't own anything. Even the clothes on your back, you don't own. You don't have authority even over your own family because as a slave, you could be separated at any time. You could be killed at any time. And the Bible lets us know in the book of Exodus that the Egyptian taskmasters were brutal. That they were evil. And so I know that there were days when Joshua experienced the lash of the whip. I know there were days working in the African sun in, in Egypt where Joshua was struggling along with all of his other people. They were suffering there in slavery. So he was a slave born there and all the way up until the exodus when God would lead them out through the blood of the lamb that was uh, covered on the doorposts and the death angel came through. He was a slave for approximately 40 to 45 years. So this man understood oppression, but God is going to use all of that. Not only was he a son and a slave, homeboy Joshua was a soldier. As they came out of uh, Egypt towards the promised land, they would have to fight along the way. And the first battle that they would encounter would be the people of Amalek or the Amalekites. And the Bible says that Moses said to Joshua in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, go fight. So Moses, the leader saw something in this young man. He saw a soldier in him. He saw a fighter in him. And so he said to Joshua, you go fight the Amalekites. I will go up to the top of the mountain. And you know the story. As long as Moses' arms were lifted up, Joshua would prevail in the valley. But when Moses' arms got tired and went down, Joshua would begin to lose in the valley. So Aaron and her came and sat Moses on a stone and held his arms up to guarantee victory in the valley through Joshua and the other soldiers. So Joshua was a fighter and he would fight 
and lead those battles that Israel would encounter in the wilderness for 40 years. So if Joshua was here to testify, Joshua would say to the people of Strong Tower, I had to fight all my life. <laughs> Just like Seely, you got to fight sometimes. And Joshua was a fighter. He was a soldier. Number four, he was also a servant. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11 says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So this verse right here, it tells us a lot about Joshua. Wherever Moses would go, Joshua would go. There would be times Moses would ascend the mount in order to get the tablets from God, the, the law from God. And the people could not come and the elders could not come. But Joshua somehow was able to go with Moses and be close when Moses was in the Shekinah glory cloud. So wherever Moses would go, Joshua would go. And the Bible says that he was Moses's servant. He served the man of God. And then we see here, basically for his eulogy in Joshua 24, verse 29, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. So this man served Moses. This man served the Lord. And I don't think there's any greater compliment that a child of God can receive is to be called a servant. That you are a servant because that's what Jesus was. And that really is what he is. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we find ourselves serving, especially in the name of Jesus, we are being like Christ. The one who washed the disciples feet and says, as I have done for, for you, you also do for one another, serve one another. And so Joshua was a servant. He was a servant leader, which is the best kind of leadership because Jesus Christ was and is a servant leader. And here's another thing about Joshua, that before he became a leader, he had to first know how to be a follower. He followed Moses. Then he uh, succeeded Moses. But we have a lot of people who don't want to follow, but they want to lead. But we need to realize that it's in the following that God teaches, that God molds, that God shows us how to lead when we become a leader. Uh, uh, there, there are many leaders who suffer from second seat syndrome. In other words, they, they don't like being in the second seat. They want to be in the first seat. And because of that, they will sabotage the man or the woman in the first seat rather than waiting on God for their time to come for the first seat. Or also recognizing that your calling might be to be in the second seat. There's nothing wrong with that. Scottie Pippen was in the second seat to Michael Jordan. Scottie, in all of his greatness, uh, uh, it was all the more enhanced because of his auxiliary support of Michael Jordan. But there are people who don't want to play that role of servant or second fiddle. But many times that, that that's the proving ground that God will use 
to see whether or not you're ready to lead from the first seat. And I have seen churches struggle and even split when the heir apparent, if you will, could not wait for the time to take that seat as the senior pastor and they end up causing trouble in the church rather than waiting on the Lord and seeing the, 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 the previous pastor leave in a way that is honorable. Oh my, Joshua was okay being a servant of Moses and a servant of God. And I just want to know, are there any servants in Strong Tower Bible Church where you don't care about getting the credit? You don't care if people know your name and what you did. You serve God. There's an audience of one and you find joy in serving because when we serve, we grow. But when we just sit around always looking to be served, we shrivel. Oh, church. Another thing about Joshua is that Joshua was a spy. You know the story. God told Moses, send the leaders into the promised land to, to survey it and check it out. And Joshua was one of the 12 that was sent. Moses selected one leader from each of the 12 tribes. And Joshua represented the tribe of Ephraim. And so they went into the land and spied it out and they brought back fruit from the land because that land was flowing with milk and honey. And they came back and they said, it's a great land. But 10 of those spies said, it's a good land, but we can't take it because the giants are there. And they began to spread a bad report amongst the people of God. So much so that the people panicked and they said, let's go back to Egypt. Let's elect a new leader and go back. And it was Joshua. And his buddy, Caleb, who stepped up and said, no, they rent their clothes and said, they said, no, no, God promised us the land. It doesn't matter how big they are. It only matters how big our God is. They had faith and they said, let's go. And the Bible says that that generation in Numbers 14, 10, the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Have you ever felt like the people on your job wanted to stone you because of your ideas? Have you ever felt like the, the people you do work with or ministry with when you come speaking faith and all they can do is speak death? They want to put it in to get you moved to another uh, uh, part of the job or, or, or to get you fired or to put you down. Uh, uh, but this was the stuff God was using to prepare him on how to lead. Because once Joshua became a leader. He utilized a different strategy. He learned from Moses, but he implemented what was necessary in his generation. So when they went into the promised land or before they went, rather than Joshua sending 12 spies, how many did he send? He sent two. <laughs> he said, man, forget them other 10 dudes, man. They, they about killed all of us. And really, they got a lot of people killed. He said, I'm sending two in. And so he learned that because God was preparing him through that pain. Ah, I got to keep going. He was also a sufferer. So this man was not only a son, a slave, a soldier, a servant, a spy, but he was also a sufferer because he had to walk in that desert for 40 years because of the unbelief of the people. You see, the spies were in the land for 40 days, surveying the land, bringing fruit back and, and, and giving the people a report. And because of the, 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 the bad report causing the people to lack faith 
and to even want to stone Joshua and Caleb, uh, get rid of Moses. God says, you know what? That's it. I I'm not taking these people into the promised land. Matter of fact, they're going to march one year for each day the spies were over there. They're going to march until they die. And that generation died out over that 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb and Moses, they survived that season because of the hand of God that was on them. And so while they're marching for 40 years, there's a lack of food. There's a lack of water. People are constantly grumbling. There are battles to fight. And God was preparing Joshua through all of that. Because God says, I got to take you through some heat before you inherit that seat. You, you, you know, we have a generation today. They want to get the crown, but they don't want to carry the cross. They want to get a throne in heaven, but they don't want to carry any thorns in their life. Uh, because before you can get to the promised land, you got to go through some desert. And, and Joshua had to go. And watch this. He's marching around in circles because of what other people did. Mm. He's suffering because of other people's sin. And it has impact and bearing on him. He wasn't the one who lacked faith. They were the ones who lacked faith. But by process of association with those people, he had to walk around because of their unbelief. He had to walk around in all that heat and, and dealing with all those struggles because of their unbelief and their sin. And some of us are going through stuff right now because of other people's choices. And it's conflicting. It's messing with us. And we're wondering, God, why are you letting this happen when I didn't do that to deserve this? They did that, and it's uh, visiting me. And God is using all of that to prepare you. He's taking you through to take you to. So don't despise this chastening. Don't despise these hard times. Count it all joy. That God is using this stuff to make you look to Jesus so that you can look for Jesus so that eventually you and I can look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and do the things that Jesus does. The one who suffered for all of our unrighteousness. He did nothing wrong. And so when we find ourselves in that place, God is saying, I'm just going to give you a little taste of what I went through. Oh, my goodness. This brother went through all of this stuff so that he could get to a place where he becomes the successor of Moses. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't say he, he came to replace Moses. There's no way you can replace a Moses. You can only succeed him. And Joshua was man enough in himself to know who he was in God so that he could step into that role. And lead the people to the place where Moses was not called by God to lead them. Which goes into my final point. Joshua was like a savior. Yes, he was. He, he was like a savior. Pastor, why do you say that? Well, think about his name. Joshua. Yeshua. It means the Lord saves. Or the Lord is salvation and so Joshua Yeshua it's the same name for Jesus when we 
called Jesus, Jesus, well, in the Hebrew language, technically, that's Yehoshua or Yeshua, because Jesus is the Lord who saves. He's the one who came to save us from our sin. The embodiment of his mission was in his name, but it was also a common name for Hebrew people. But for Joshua, Joshua, he would do what Moses could not do. You see, Moses represents the law. The law came through Moses. And when Moses led the people, he could get them up to the precipice of the promised land, but he could not take them in. He could get them to the Jordan River, but God says, no, Joshua is going to take them over the Jordan and into the promised land. Why? Because if Moses represents the law, the law cannot take us in. Only grace can take us in. And Joshua, representing as a type of Christ, is the one who took the people into the promised land, across the Jordan. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua, Jesus Christ. So this man is going to take the baton from Moses, from the law. And take the people into the promised land of salvation, if you will. And so he's leading them where Moses could not lead them. And God is doing all of this in your life, once again, to make you more like Christ. So that we can serve more people in the name of Christ and to do it in a Christ-like way. Oh, we are not the Christ, but we serve the Christ. And we want to see salvation come upon our friends, our families, and our neighbors. We want to preach the gospel in word and in deed. Because God is using us for the saving of many lives. That's what he said to Joshua, that I'm using you to save many lives. Oh my goodness. So, so, so this man was like a savior. Well, everything Joshua went through prepared him for this moment to be the leader of Israel. In Strong Tower, God is preparing you. He's preparing us. He's got something for you. And he's using what you're going through, the things he's taking you through, because of where he's taking you to. You know, we left John Lewis um, in my introduction on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where on March 7th, 1965, he, he had his skull fractured in that melee there, in that riot that was instigated by the police who escalated terror and violence in that moment. And we talked about how he shed blood, Lewis shed blood on that bridge. Well, two days later, on March 9th, Martin Luther King joined the marchers. He didn't join with them on March 7th because it was Palm Sunday, I believe. And so he stayed with his church in Atlanta, and then he came two days later, and they assembled again to march from Selma to Montgomery. And this is when Martin Luther King, as he was leading the people across the bridge, he stopped, knelt, and prayed. He got up, turned around, and went back to the church. Now, while he was doing that, there were police barricading them along the way. And they had their billy clubs and all of that. And Dr. King knew that he did not have federal support at that time. So he exercised wisdom. And to some, they would think it was cowardice. 
but it was actually wisdom where he turned around and went back because had he led those people down that gauntlet of police on one side and on the other, he probably would not have been able to live with himself had those people suffered and even died uh, marching to get their right to vote. But on March 21st, 1965, they came back together to go across that bridge. And this time, Dr. King had federal agents and soldiers and support from President Johnson. And by this time, the numbers had swelled to more than what they had in the previous two attempts. And this number was littered with people who were not only black, but also white and Latino. And they made that march, that historic march, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and into Montgomery, the state capital, where Dr. King began to preach about voting rights. And not long after that, that year, that same year, the Voting Rights Act was passed. And so that painful place on that bridge ended up being a triumphal moment for this nation. And that would also be the legacy of John Lewis. Once again, a bridge named after a Confederate officer where there was racism and violence perpetrated on that bridge. But on that same bridge, the people of God would have passageway on their way to voting rights. And John Lewis, in a sense, would become the bridge that would take a people who were marginalized and segregated against into a place of justice and opportunity because to vote is to have power. Well, 50 years later, on March 7th, 19, 2015, John Lewis crossed that bridge with the first African-American president of the United States, Barack Obama. So 50 years later, after he had his skull caved in on that bridge, he ended up walking across that bridge with the first African-American president. My, my, my. So what he marched for and nearly died for, God in his grace allowed him to walk in. Because I know he didn't see a black president in 1965. He just wanted to see the voting booth without all of these barriers put up against black people trying to stop them from voting. He just wanted to vote. So this sounds like the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even imagine because a black president would come from that bridge. Sometimes God allows us to live long enough to see our struggle turn into legacy and our enemies into footstools. Sometimes he'll let us live long enough to see what he was preparing us for and how he even used us, that, that what we planted in the soil by our prayers, our faith, our tears, and even our blood, our sacrifice, every now and then he'll let us live long enough to see the sacrifice, the, 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 the harvest come out of the sacrifice. And that was the story of John Lewis. That's what happened to Joshua that's what happened to John Lewis, and I pray that's what happens to you, that you'll see what God is preparing you 
for. Strong Tower, he's preparing you. So don't faint, don't give up. Hang in there with God. And when you lose your grip, trust the one who's got his grip on you. Shake off the dust, rise back up, straighten your back and say, I will not fall during this season. I will not give up even though I feel like I'm giving out. I'm going to trust God in the midst of all of this because he's preparing me. Because he's taking me through some things. Because he's about to take me to some things. I pray that you will live long enough to see what the struggle produced in your life. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you use fallen people, fallible people. I thank you, Lord, that ultimately it's about your son, Jesus. We look to him. We follow him. We depend on him. We admire his revolutionary ways. We, we thank you for how he was a lion and a lamb. We thank you for his boldness, his courage, and his humility. His tenacity to stay committed to the purpose that you had when he came. That he did not faint. He did not give up. He went through Gethsemane to Calvary. And from Calvary to the grave and from the grave to resurrection. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Oh Lord, fill us. Use us. Thank you for this church. Thank you that what you're doing in Nashville is not over. That Reverend C.T. Vivian and Representative John Lewis, they're handing all of us the baton to run for the sake of justice, to run for the sake of righteousness, to make this country a better place until we go to our heavenly home and glory. We thank you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.